I have a question to ask you this morning, and I'd like your participation. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come up on the stage with me, but I have a question. And all you have to do is raise your hand if the question applies to you. Here's the question. Have you ever forgotten an important event in your life? Have you ever forgotten an anniversary or have you ever forgotten a birthday of someone else? Have you ever forgotten an important event in your life? Yep, that's exactly what I thought. Many of us here this morning have forgotten an important event in our lives. I have forgotten a very important event in our life, in my life. Not in our life, in my life, I have forgotten a very important event. Now, I don't remember the actual age when I forgot this event. It was when I was a kid, and I don't remember exactly how old I was, but, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a day my brother and I were, were playing out in the yard, and we had already eaten dinner. My dad was still at work. He, he hadn't gotten home yet from work. My brother and I are playing out in the yard, and my mom went to bed early. My mom went to bed really, really early. And now looking back on it, I should have thought that something was wrong, but I didn't think about it that much. And my brother and I, we continued to play. To play. Well, my dad ends up coming home, and he says, hey, guys, how you doing? We say, great, dad. He says, hey, where's mom? We say, mom's in bed. So he goes into his bedroom, and the next thing I know, he comes out of his bedroom and says, come on, boys, let's go to the store. We forgot your mom's birthday. I told you it was really bad. It was really, really bad. And to make matters worse, we didn't just apologize. We decided to do what any self-respecting, take-control man will try to do. We tried to fix it. (laughs) So we get in the car and we drive to Whitmark Department Store. Now, many of you, yeah, you know, you remember Whitmark Department Store. It's not in existence anymore, and there's a reason for that. (laughs) It was on 28th Street and Eastern Avenue. And so we drive to Whitmark, and we get there right before it's going to close at 8.30, and we walk into the store, and we begin to look around for a present for my mom, and we pick out a Polaroid camera. (laughs) Not even jewelry, not even a vacuum. We pick out a Polaroid camera. So we take the camera back to our house. We go into the bedroom where my mom is still sleeping. We wake her up and we say happy birthday with all the gusto we can muster. And we hand her the Polaroid camera. She looks at the camera. (laughs) You know where this is going, don't you? She looks at the camera. She looks at us. She puts the camera down. She puts her head back on the pillow and goes to sleep and never, ever touches that camera again for the rest of her life. (laughs) Remembering. Remembering. Remembering is such an essential part of our lives. Remembering gives us the opportunity to look at the signposts over the passage of time. Memories give us the opportunity to reassess, to reevaluate, to adjust our lives. Remembering is also an essential part of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Remembering our memories form part of who we are, and our memories help us to become who God wants us to be. But although memories are important, 
often our memory is flawed. Our memory is imperfect. And it's not that our memories are always flawed or always imperfect, but often they are imperfect. Now, sometimes our memory is flawed because of age or health, but but that's not always the case. Sometimes our memories are flawed because we just don't pay enough attention to the past. We sometimes just don't think the past is as important as the present or the future. And so we neglect the past. We fail to focus on the past because we like to focus on the present, on our position in the here and the now. But God thinks that the past is important. And God encourages us to remember the past. There are events in our histories that God wants us to remember. There are some events in our past that God never wants us to forget. So this morning, we are going to look at the importance of remembering. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, it's found on page 171 in the Bible that the church provides. That's either in the pew rack in front of you or under your seat if you're in the balcony. Joshua chapter 4, Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4 kind of go together. They deal with one of the most significant events in the history of Israel. Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4 deal with one of the most significant events in the life of Joshua because they deal with the assignment that God has given to Joshua. God has instructed Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. God has instructed Joshua to conquer Canaan so that the people of Israel can live within this land that God has promised to them. But we see that right out of the gate, Last week when we looked at Joshua 3, right out of the gate, Joshua comes to an obstacle. He comes to an obstacle that is overwhelming, an overwhelming part of his assignment, something that is seemingly impossible because Joshua and the people of Israel have to cross the Jordan River. And they have to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. It is a raging, rough river. And it is a seemingly impossible task that lays before them. But last week in looking at Joshua 3, we saw that because the people of Israel followed God, because the people of Israel consecrated themselves, and because the people of Israel stepped out in faith, God stopped the flow of the Jordan River. God performed a physical miracle and he stopped the flow of the raging, rough, flood stage Jordan River. Now, you would think in looking at Joshua 3 that Israel would have no trouble remembering this event. But here's the thing. That's not even the whole story of what transpires or what happens here. There is, if you will, more to the story, the rest of the story. God performs a physical miracle. He stops the flow of the Jordan River at flood stage. But this physical miracle had a spiritual component as well. Not only was the miracle that God performed a physical miracle, it was a spiritual miracle as well. This story is more than God stopping the flow of the Jordan River. It is a tangible demonstration from the Lord God, from Yahweh, from the great I Am, that He is the Lord of all the earth. Remember last week 
Joshua in Joshua chapter 3 gives a new title to the Lord God. He refers to him as the Lord of all the earth. Why? Why does Joshua give God a new title, the Lord of all the earth in Joshua chapter 3? Now remember, the people of Israel have the task to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land and conquer Canaan, right? Canaan is full of people who do not want to be conquered. These people aren't just going to pick up their possessions and leave. They are going to fight for the land that they believe is their land. And not only are the people of Canaan going to fight for the land, the people of Canaan believe that their gods are going to fight for their land. You see, in that time when nation went to war, when nation fought nation, in the people's minds, it wasn't just nation against nation. It was one nation's gods against another nation's gods. So when people went to war, it was people against people, and it was God against God. So the people of Canaan believe that their gods are going to fight for them, and they're not going to just turn over this land easily. Now, the people of Canaan have many gods. They're a multiple god society. Their main god is the god Baal. And in the Bible, we read a lot about Baal, but much of what we know about Baal comes from a book that's called the Baal Epic. The Baal Epic was discovered in the 1930s, and it's a document in which we read the story of Baal and the other gods of Canaan. And it, and, and it goes back to about 1300 BC, which is the time of this Joshua conquest of the Promised Land. The Baal Epic defines and describes the gods of Canaan, and it tells us that Baal is one of the chief gods, that Baal is the, is the storm god, and he controls the land, and he controls the rain, he controls the harvest, he has lots of control. But remember, there's other gods in Canaan. And so these gods sometimes fight each other. So the Baal epic tells us that there is an epic fight between Baal and the god Yam. The god Yam is the god of seas and river. And Baal and Yam fight to see who the supreme god is. And in that fight, Baal comes out victorious. And Baal is declared the supreme God, and he is given the title Lord of all the earth. So now think about this. The people of Israel have come up to the Jordan River, and there's this huge, incredible physical obstacle in front of them. But that is not all they see. That is not all they are thinking about, because they're well aware of the gods of Canaan. They are well aware of Baal, and they recognize that the people of Canaan think that Baal is the mighty God. They think that Baal is the Lord of all the earth, and this river is a physical demonstration to them that Baal is a mighty God. Remember, he is the God of the rains. He is the God that ensures the harvest. He is, this river, this flowing, flooding river is a testimony to mighty Baal. So they come up to this river, and they see the physical obstacle. But in their minds, they recognize the spiritual obstacle that exists in front of them. So when the Lord God, 
when Yahweh stops the flow of the Jordan River so that the people can walk across on dry ground, the Lord God, Yahweh, has just defeated the mightiest God of Canaan. He has just destroyed Baal. And Joshua gives the Lord God the title, the Lord of all the earth. This is not lost on the people of Israel. They understand exactly what Joshua is saying. Baal is not the Lord of all the earth. Your God, Yahweh, he is the Lord of all the earth. And it is he who stops the flow of the river Jordan. So when they put their foot onto that dry ground and they put that first foot in the promised land, they know with confidence that the Lord of all the earth goes before them. So we have a physical miracle and we have a spiritual miracle and the Lord God, Yahweh, does not want the people of Israel to ever, ever forget what he has done on their behalf. He doesn't want them to forget the physical miracle. He does not want them to forget the spiritual aspect of the miracle. And he wants them to know in their minds forever that the Lord of all the earth has gone before them. And here as we come to Joshua 4, central to Joshua 4 is the importance of remembering. And all throughout Joshua 4, we are going to see that God, Yahweh, was in complete control of all the aspects of everything that happened that day at the Jordan River. Through Joshua, the Lord God told the priests when to enter the river. He told the people when to get into the river and exit the river. He told the priests with the ark when to come out of that river. He told them that they were going to walk across on the dry ground and they walk across on dry ground. Everybody obeyed God that day. The people obeyed God and the water obeyed God and everything worked out that day exactly as God had planned. Amen. That day, God was glorified. So now let's look at Joshua chapter 4, and we're going to look carefully at verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump to verses 15 through 22, because as we look at that, those verses, we'll see the sequence of events that happened that day. In verses 1 through 9, at the heart of these verses are some stones that are in the River Jordan. The first eight verses talk about stones that are going to be removed from the River Jordan and placed on the west bank of the Jordan River. And then we're going to look at some other stones. But let's look first at God's command to Joshua in verses 1 to 3. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. In verses 4 to 7, we're going to, he's going to tell these 12 men exactly what to do. Look at verses 4 and 5. They give specific instructions. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulders according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. The men are to take up 12 stones, 12 kind of boulders, if you will. They have to be big. They're big enough. They're heavy enough because they need to hoist them on their back. Joshua says, put them on your shoulders. So these are, these are, these are fairly large stones. 
and carry them out. The instruction is carry them out right in front of where the priests are standing with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. Then in verses 6 and 7, Joshua explains the purpose of the stones. These stones are to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These 12 stones that that the men bring out of the river are to be a physical reminder that God backed up the flow of the Jordan River, a reminder that God performed a physical and a spiritual miracle, a reminder that the Lord God was the Lord of all the earth. Joshua also suggests here that these memorial stones on the bank of the, on the west bank of the Jordan River would pique the natural curiosity of the children of Israel. He says, put these stones up so that your children will look at these stones and it will give them an opportunity to ask you, why are these stones here? Why are they present? And then it will give you as parents the opportunity to explain the wonders of your God. They will give you the opportunity to tell of what God did when he stopped the flow of the Jordan River, a miraculous act that's never to be forgotten. We see that the 12 men respond immediately in obedience to Joshua's direction. Look at verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Now we're going to come back to these particular stones in the second half of this chapter, but now we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 where a second set of stones are to be placed in the middle of the Jordan. Now there is some disagreement whether there is one set of stones or whether there are two sets of stones. The confusion comes from verse 9 and the interpretation of the Hebrew. Now, the the Bible that you may be holding, if you're holding a church Bible, you're holding the NIV translation. The NIV translation describes one set of stones. Although, if you'll note in your Bible, if you'll notice, there's a little B in verse 9. That little B, if you'll jump down, it acknowledges the alternative translation. And based upon my study, I think that the alternative translation is a better translation, so I'm going to read it that way. However, keep in mind, no matter what translation you use, the purpose here in the narrative is clear. The purpose of the stones does not change. So verse 9, Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed. Joshua himself goes down into the river alone and standing in front of the priests who are holding up the ark of the covenant to hold back of the water so that the people can pass on dry ground, Joshua himself enters down and sets up his own private memorial. He has his own time, his own moment of memorial before the Lord. Now to the Israelites watching, this may have been somewhat confusing. It may have been something strange that their leader does. 
but I think that this is Joshua's personal way to memorialize this event, to memorialize personally what God did in stopping the flow of the Jordan, the miracle that God performed. So what we have is we have a corporate or collective memorial on the west bank of the Jordan River, and we have a private memorial that Joshua sets up within the riverbed itself. Both memorials are to signify, both memorials are in order that there is a remembrance of the miracles that the Lord performed on that day. Now look at verse 15. Joshua here in verse 15 is going to start over and he's going to retell the story, if you will, just from a different perspective, from a different point of view. Now it's not the stones that are in the middle of the river that are central, but it's the stones that are brought to the west bank of the Jordan River to a place called Gilgal. And that's important because we're going to come back to it. Now look at beginning in verse 15. It's kind of a summary of how the priests and the ark and the people all come up out of the Jordan River. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Three times in those last few verses, come up out of the Jordan is referenced. Obviously, the immediate point of these verses is finally the Ark of the Covenant has come up out of the Jordan. Finally, the miracle has been completed. God has provided a miracle. But did you notice here? Did you notice that the Ark has a different name this time? Look at that. It's the Ark of the Covenant Law. This could also be translated the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Sign or the Ark of the Reminder. You see, what is happening here is that the Ark itself is actually going to be a reminder to the people. When the people hear of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, when the people hear of the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, they are going to remember what God did in the Jordan River that day. They are going to remember when they look or hear about the Ark that God stopped the flow of the Jordan River. Verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. Joshua sets up this memorial at Gilgal on the tenth day of the first month. That day, the tenth day of the first month, is significant. That day, the 10th day of the first month, is very, very significant. You see, in the Old Testament chronology, exactly 40 years to the day, Israel marched out of Egypt. 40 years to the day, the Passover lamb had been killed, the blood had been sprinkled, and the people of Israel were released from the bondage of Egypt. Exactly 40 days to the day, This memorial is set up. The people had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and just as God had promised 40 years to the day, 
they crossed the Jordan on dry, dry ground because God, the Lord of all the earth, stopped the flow of the Jordan River. The people of Israel are now in the promised land. Now it's interesting to me that a whole chapter, a whole chapter in the Bible is devoted to remembering, to setting up a memorial, to remembering this event. Now if you ask me, I think that this could have been done in a few verses. I think you put out a few verses and you say, remember what the Lord your God did by stopping the flow of the Jordan River so that you could enter the promised land. It was a physical and spiritual miracle. Amen. But that's not what God thought. God thinks that a whole chapter needs to be devoted to remembering what the Lord your God did, to remembering that the Lord of all the earth stopped the flow of the Jordan River. So a whole chapter of very specific instructions is given for the people to set up stones of remembrance so that they always remember what God did for them at the Jordan River. And as I look at chapter 4, as we continue in chapter 4, I think there are three purposes, three main purposes for memorial stones at the Jordan and three main purposes for memorials in our life. Because remember, this is not just a story about people a few thousand years ago. This is a story that applies to you and applies to me today. So how is it that we are going to apply it in our lives? Three main purposes for the memorial stones, and for memorials in our lives. First, the memorials serve as a reminder of what God has done in our lives, which strengthens our faith. Notice verse 19. The stones were set up on the west bank of the Jordan in Gilgal. I told you it was important they were in Gilgal. The Israelites camped in Gilgal. Gilgal would be the place that the Israelites would keep coming back to. After a battle, after a skirmish, after a difficult event, they would come back to Gilgal and they'd camp. It would be the place they would come back to. And when they came back to Gilgal after a difficult battle, after a difficult skirmish, what is it that they would see? Thank you. Stones. They would see the stones of remembrance. They would see that and remember that God was the one who was the Lord of all the earth who showed up and stopped the flow of the Jordan River. It was their God who did this. It was their God that went before them into the promised land. This would not be the last battle that they faced. It would not be their last skirmish. It would not be their last difficult event. But because they camped at Gilgal, they would keep coming back and looking at the stones. And when they saw the stones, they would remember, my God is the Lord of all the earth and he showed up in the past so he will show up in the present and he will show up in the future and the fact that they remember that he showed up in the past strengthens their faith to move forward in the future and it's the same for each one of us remembering that God provided for us in the past remembering that God provided healing for us in the past remembering that God showed up for us in the past reminds us that he will show up in the difficulties in the present and that he will show up in the difficulties in our lives in the future. So when we look at the memorials and remember what God has done in the past, we will have confidence. It will strengthen our faith as we move forward into the future. 
The second purpose for the memorial is found in verse 21. Verse 21, he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. This verse echoes verse 6, in which the Israelites are instructed to tell their children what those stones mean. The second purpose for memorial stones, the second purpose for a memorial is to inform the children. One of the reasons for the memorial is so that the, it says, so that the children will ask, what do these stones mean? These stones would provide an opportunity for the parents to inform their children that the Lord your God is the God who performs miracles. He is the God who will show up in your assignment. He is the God who will help you complete your assignment. The stones give us an opportunity to teach our children about God. Speaking from experience, I know it is often difficult to initiate conversation with children. These stones, the memorials in our lives, tell us, it gives us the opportunity that, to talk to our children because we don't have to initiate the children are going to ask, hey, what are these stones for? What's this memorial for? The child is actually going to initiate the conversation, and all you have to do is respond to the question and speak of the wonders of the Lord your God. First purpose of a memorial is to strengthen our faith. The second purpose of a memorial is to inform the children. And the third purpose of a memorial is as a sign to the world. Look at verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God had them place these stones at Gilgal on the west bank of the Jordan River so that anyone, not just the people of Israel, that anyone and everyone who saw the stones would be reminded of the might and the power of the Lord God of Israel. God wants all to know that he holds all the power in his hands. God wants all to know that he is the Lord of all the earth. So he commands to set up memorials. There are, purpose, there are purposes for the memorials on the banks of the Jordan. There are purposes for memorials in our lives. The memorials strengthen our faith. The memorials allow us to inform the children and they serve as a sign to all the world that the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. And for the Israelites, it worked. Look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. That is the Lord your God. That is the Lord of all the earth. Now, I've never done this before, but this morning, I changed the conclusion to this sermon. And I did it because I, to the best of my ability, I think that the Lord asked me to do it. I preached a sermon two years ago, July of 2013, and I preached a sermon entitled, Who Will Help Me? from Psalm 121. And if you recall, Psalm 121 starts, I lift up my high eyes to the hills. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And at the end of the sermon, in the conclusion, I made a series of statements about God providing help in our lives. And one of those statements was, when your oldest child leaves the house and you want to weep because time went too fast, remember that your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, two years ago, the assignment in my life and in my wife Jen's life was to let our son Jeff go away to school. And it was overwhelming for me. I shared it with you back then. That was an overwhelming assignment. And for me, it was seemingly impossible. It was incredibly difficult. We took him to school. And in October of 2013, when we were in the Refuge series in 1 Peter, I preached a sermon entitled Gratitude. And in that sermon on gratitude, I shared how the experience went taking Jeff to school. And I shared with you that God showed up. And God was so involved in the transition. And everything went well. And it was just an incredible time to give thanks to the God, give thanks to the Lord our God, because he showed up. He was real. And he showed up in our assignment and in our time of need. And all I could do was say thank you. Well, today, after this service, I'm leaving. And Jeff is transferring. And instead of coming closer to home, he's moving farther away from home. And I'm driving him down to Texas. Yeah, Texas is a long way away from Michigan. And man, it messes me up. It messes me up bad. But that's his assignment. And it's mine and Jen's assignment as well. Because the Lord, our God, has sent him to this place. So this past week, I kept coming back to this sermon. This is my stone of remembrance. This is the reminder that two years ago, God showed up. And because the Lord, my God, showed up two years ago, I believe the Lord, my God, is going to show up this time. This is the memorial that he gave to me two years ago so that this week I would have some kind of peace that he will show up again. So it strengthens my faith. And it gives me an opportunity to inform the children that are here this morning and in the next service when my kids are sitting in this service, it is going to give me the opportunity to tell them this memorial reminds me that God showed up then so he is going to show up now. And it also speaks to all the world that the Lord my God is real and he is mighty. And he is powerful. And all power is in his hands. And that Lord cares for me. And not only does that Lord care for me, that Lord cares for you. I know many of you are facing difficult assignments. Assignments that are overwhelming. Assignments that seem impossible. Remember what God says to you in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. He is the Lord your God. 
And he says, follow me, consecrate yourself before me, and step out in faith, and I will be with you. I will go into the Jordan River before you. I will be in your assignment with you. He is with you. He is the Lord of all the earth. And then I know that there are some of you here who have already crossed the Jordan. You have had that overwhelming assignment, that seemingly impossible assignment, and God stopped the flow of the Jordan River for you, and you walked across on dry ground. Don't miss the opportunity to build him some type of memorial. Don't miss the opportunity to create something that reminds you that the Lord your God is the Lord of all the earth. It will strengthen your faith. It will allow you to inform the children and it will be a sign to the rest of the world that the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. That is the Lord your God. So set up stones in your house, put a plaque on the wall, journal what the Lord has done for you. Shoot, write a sermon if you want so that you can remember what the Lord your God did for you. Don't ever, ever forget. No matter the assignment you have, the Lord your God is the Lord of all the earth. And don't ever, ever forget to remember, remember that he is the Lord of all the earth. Let's pray. Our gracious, gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to come to this place and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would see all of our worship, our, our song, our giving, the opening of your word as a sign of our love for you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who follow you, who consecrate ourselves before you, and who step out in faith. And Lord, when we do, and when you show up and move in might and power and complete the assignment that you have given to us. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who never, ever, ever forget who you are and what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.